Welcome to the podcast that helps you build wealth and thrive in a world of out of control central banks and big governments. This is the Rebel Capitalist Show. Hello, fellow Rebel Capitalists. Hope you're well. Hope you're having a great weekend. Super excited to dive into your questions this evening. But before we do, I want to remind everyone to go to rebelcapitalistlive.com right now, ASAP, and get your tickets. It's only like three weeks left until the event. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. In Orlando, May 12th through the 14th, guys. Let me do a quick screen share here. Check out the list of speakers. We've got Mike Maloney, Peter Schiff, Robert Barnes, Kenny McElroy, Chris McIntosh, Jason Hartman, Lynn Alden, Simon Black, MC Robert Helms from the Real Estate Guys. We've got Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, Bob Murphy, and this guy right here, George Gammon. Don't know who he is. I'm not sure why on earth he's speaking, but uh, if you're interested, he'll be there. And we've got some VIP guests like my good buddy, Robert Kiyosaki, uneducated economist and commodities expert or energy expert, Tracy Shukart, just to, just to name a few. So guys, shoot over to rebelcapitalistlive.com ASAP and get your tickets before it's too late. You're not going to want to miss this event, that's for sure. All right, let's get into your questions. See what we got going here. First question, AI, a relevant random factor in macro. Yeah, for sure. I think when I really try to process where we're headed with AI, if I'm a government, I'm definitely going to try to use it to manipulate the citizens of a specific country. If I, you know, if, not necessarily if I don't like that country, but to try to position it in a way that benefits me. So uh, as an example, we all know China doesn't really like to engage directly as far as warfare, uh, I've all read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. And so I think what they would prefer to do, if they can, is use AI to create a civil war within the United States. And then they can just sit back and watch and let the two, let's say the blue team and the red team, do their bidding for them. And they can just have all these AI bots that are just creating articles or creating fake videos. What, what do you call them? Um, real fakes or deep fakes, something like that, to where anytime you go online, you don't even realize it, but you're just being bombarded by just stuff that's that's fake news. It's just, it's it's created by AI. And it might not just be a government. I mean, it could be corporations. It could be individuals that are doing this. So I think there's going to be a huge premium set on face-to-face -face interaction, ironically enough, moving forward, because it's the only way that you're going to truly be able to know if this person said X, Y, Z. So, well, that's why you want to go to an event like Rebel Capitals Live to make sure that, uh, you know, you're in the studio or you're in the audience, you're looking up there watching Jeff Snyder speak, you don't have to worry about it being AI. And you, you think that's funny, and it kind of sounds a little bit ridiculous right now, but a lot of what you see, even now, on uh, social media, on Twitter, is just, it, it's it's AI generated. Um, I mean, most, not most, but a lot of the titles that you see for YouTube videos, as an example, they're using chat GPT. And I, I don't really do that because I have a, a different system for that. But uh, this is the direction they're headed. And I was even talking to, um, or no, I was listening to a podcast the other day 
from a, a content creator that does like macro research. And um, it, it wasn't one that I, I, I talked to or anything like that, but it was someone that uh, I recognized their name. And they were saying how they've basically taken their staff of 10 people, their research assistants, and took taken that down to like two. And they and chat GPT does all their research for them. Personally, I would never do that because for me, part of the learning process is doing the research. Because if I'm, you know, like what they're doing is saying, hey, we need to research this Euro dollar system, go figure it out and report back to me. But I would never delegate that to someone because I want to do that myself because it's not just that rabbit hole that you're going to go down. The process of going down that rabbit hole is going to lead you three or four other directions that chat GPT or even an, an assistant isn't going to recognize. So, but anyway, uh, getting back to your main question. Yeah, I think governments are definitely going to use it to try to manipulate populations, probably manipulate their own populations. I mean, why wouldn't they do that? Uh, to create some sort of you know fake news that allows them to usurp power, control, and wealth. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if the EU uses it, the IMF, World Economic Forum, and it's just going to be like a battlefield out there where really your your only way to combat this is just take this thing right here and just hit the off button. Just don't use it. Just don't use it. Use it for just text, like you know WhatsApp or just texting or email. That's it. Uh, or you have to go and you have to just find a trusted resource, and you have to know that that person isn't some sort of robot. Like right now, you're on a live stream with me. So the probability of me being a deep fake is extremely low <laughs> because this is live. Now, I don't know, maybe in the future, they'll figure out some way to do it on a live stream. But as of right now, you know that you're talking to George Gammon and anything I say, it's coming right from the horse's mouth. It's not going through AI. And again, I, I think that as we move forward, over the next few years, this is going to be more and more and more a priority. And it's going to be something you have to think about a lot more. Have you used chat GPT-4? No. Once we start getting into the euro dollar market and, and, and actually how banking works, I would be very surprised if chat GPT-4, uh, I don't care what version it is, comes up with anything good because it's it's not thinking, obviously. It's just scouring the internet and then giving you and delivering you results. The problem there is that the, the number of people that understand how the global monetary system really works is, you know, I could count them on one hand. And I, obviously I'm not included in there, but you got Snyder and a couple others like that. You know, chat GPT can't mine information just from five people. That I would be uh, rather suspicious but obviously for more general topics and even esoteric topics but just that are more general than something as unbelievably complex as the global monetary system yeah i'm sure it's gonna it, it listen the, the world's gonna be changing big time in the next three five years absolutely we're going into fourth turning it's not going to conclude likely until 2030 and this is going to be very volatile guys i mean if you're one of those people that is just hiding in a corner and trying to go up to the woods and say, all right, well, I'm just going to try to control my life or control what I can and just pretend the world isn't changing. I don't know that that's a good idea.
because what, whether you like it or not, this is, this is what's happening. You got to be aware of it at least, you know, don't bury your head in the sand. The idea anyone can borrow forever or print money forever with no consequences defies basic financial logic. Do you believe the next debt crisis we're heading into will be the nail in the coffin? Well, I don't even know what the nail in the coffin. I mean, what does that look like? So you'd have to define that first. I mean, does that look like the GFC? Does that look like, but yet just last for 10 years? Does that look like the uh, Great Depression of the 1930s? Does that look like Venezuela? Does that look like you know, I, I, Argentina, maybe? Uh, I, I don't know what that looks like. So let me try to answer your question to the best of my ability. We've got the next debt crisis we're hitting. Will that be the nail in the coffin? You've got to remember that that you you don't have to have a, a blow-up type of event. You, you can have that. And, and by the way, so let's back up here because this is a very good question on a lot of different levels, and very few people really understand this. So let's just assume for a moment we did a debt jubilee. Let's assume for a moment that we're Japan and the Federal Reserve owns 60% of the government debt. And it's at 200, let's just say it's at 200% debt to GDP. And we need to get that down to whatever, uh, 50% of debt to GDP. Because this is the, this is the, the, the debt problem that you are referring to. And the way that we're going to try to fix this so it, it isn't the nail in the coffin is doing a debt jubilee. So what we do is because there's only two balance sheets that are involved here, the Fed and the government. So if you just hit the delete button on those, the 60% of treasuries that are on the Fed's balance sheet, and then you hit the delete button on the liability side of the government balance sheet, what happens? What happens? Uh, maybe even a better question would be, would anyone know? Unless they came out with a press release or something like this, but no one would know. Like, how, how would you know? Everyone watching this live stream right now, if they didn't come out and announce it, how would you know? that the Fed just didn't delete all the tr all of the treasuries on their balance sheet. You'd be clueless. You'd just go on with your day and just be oblivious. So, but let's get back to your main point here. There's consequences. So what are the consequences if that sounds like it would just be a, a, a free lunch or a get out of jail free card? The consequences are paid for, not with the debt jubilee, or not with the final nail in the coffin, not with the debt crisis. The fiddler is paid with the government spending itself. You see, that's where the, the, the crisis lies. It's not with the debt. It's with the government spending to begin with, you see? And the example that I use all the time in my whiteboard videos, and I think that's the, the clearest way that I can describe it to you. You have to envision a heroin addict, okay? And they have this credit card with $100,000 on it. And they keep charging that credit card to buy more and more and more heroin. And as they do more and more heroin, they destroy their mind. They destroy their body. They destroy their spirit. And then let's say they get that credit card up to $100,000. They got a debt problem, right? Well, let's say that you come in and you just pay off that credit card for them, or you give them a debt jubilee. So now you take the balance on their credit card from $100,000 down to zero. Did they receive a get out of jail free card? 
No, absolutely not. Because the problem wasn't the debt crisis, so to speak. The problem is that they did all the heroin to begin with. And that heroin distorts the body, the mind, the spirit, just like government spending distorts the real economy. And it makes it less efficient. And heroin, the drug, destroys a person just like government spending, or government spending destroys the economy just like that heroin destroys a government or a, a, a heroin addict, you see? So I, I would suggest that you kind of try to shift your framework for looking at government debt or a quote-unquote debt crisis. Now, it is true that you can have a debt crisis, but again, the, the, the real problem is the government spending to accrue the debt to begin with. So when, when will we see the final nail in the coffin? To answer your question directly, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing the debt crisis play out in the United States. Because of all this, I mean, look at the government spending that we saw in 2020 and 2021 with PPP and stimulus checks and all these massive distortions. Well, what did that do? That took the inflation rate, headline inflation, from let's call it 1.5% straight up to nine. So think about all the damage that has been done by taking the CPI up to 9% and it's still at five. And who knows? We'll likely see, a, a, you know, we, I think we'll probably have disinflation, maybe even deflation, but then we'll get another spike higher. So think about the negative impact of all of that inflation when you aggregate it into the, or you aggregate all of the negative consequences in an entire economy, in an entire global economy. Think of all the poverty that creates. Think of the standard of living that has declined as a result of those government distortions from 2020 and 2021, locking everyone in a cage. Let's not forget that. Shutting down the entire global economy. So do we have a debt now that's taken the debt to over 30 trillion? Okay, but again, is the $30 trillion debt the problem? <laughs> or, or was it the government meddling within the economy to get up to that $30 trillion to begin with? I would argue that it's, that it's the government meddling. That's your biggest problem. And the, the debt is just kind of like a derivative of that. If Russia, China worked on new payment system for years and now countries have an alternative payment system, doesn't de-dollarization happen faster? Let's say that I'm going to assume for a moment that, that you're in the United States. So let's assume that you're in the United States and you've got a $500,000 mortgage. Let's also assume that the United States does some sort of uh, trade deal with, you'll pick a country, uh, we'll just say India, something like that, where we're going to go ahead and uh, trade for whatever reason. Let's say India is demanding it, right? So now with India, we're only going to, where we used to be able to settle with dollars, now we're only going to be able to settle with rupees. So all of those entities now that are doing business with India, um, well, not even that, just the Indian government, then they're going to have to come up with the rupees. Okay, so let's, let's just think about that. So you as an American citizen, how does that impact you? Let's say you're an entrepreneur. And let's say that you manufacture widgets in Texas. How does that impact you? 
you say, George, well, my goodness, now if you're importing anything from India, now you have to come up with rupees. Really? Well, tell that to the, the guy in India. Well, but the government, the government came out and did this trade deal or whatever. Okay, great. Well, that applies to the government. <laughs> but how does that apply to the widget maker and the the person in India who is creating the inputs that the widget maker in Texas needs? You see my point? If they want to settle in dollars, they're going to settle in dollars. So now the government can sit there and say, hey, with this oil that we own, we're going to go ahead and demand that someone just gives us uh, rupees or something, right? And then if you want that oil from the government, then sure, you got to get the rupees. But that doesn't really, how does that impact? And so you say, okay, George, well, why on earth would anyone want to hold the dollar? I don't know. Go to Turkey right now. As most of you know, I went to Istanbul maybe, what was it, two or three months ago? And ask them, or just ask anyone, just go into the airport and look around at how many people are using dollars. Everybody. That's, in fact, a lot of things were even priced in dollars. It's like, it's almost de facto their national currency. What they do is they get paid in, in lira. They spend it immediately. And then anything they left have left over, they take their lira and they buy dollars. Or they buy gold or they buy euros. But mostly dollars. I remember I was going through the Istanbul airport. And I grabbed a coffee. And I just ha they happened to hit the button that makes the cash register you know, come out. And I just happened to look in there, 95% of the currency they had were dollars. So you, you've, another thing you've got to ask yourself, right? Let's, let's say that you're uh, an American, you're, uh, you're going back to your mortgage. How are you going to pay your mortgage if you don't have any dollars? You know, are you just going to take all your dollars and sell them for rubles? You're going to take all your dollars and sell them because, uh, or, and, and buy yuan, something like that? And let's say that they have this new payment system, right? All those manufacturers out there, are they going to immediately sign up for this new currency? Let's call it the BRIC currency. It, it's never been tested. You've never used the payment system. And, and now, instead of having to trust the U.S. government, which no one should do, but now you're going to go ahead and trust the Chinese government that they're not going to freeze your funds just like the United States would have? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not like you're going from, from one really bad system to an unbelievable system that you just can't wait to use. <laughs> no, you're going from a horrible system to another horrible system that's run by a bunch of central planners and authoritarians. So I don't know that everyone's going to be signing up for that. Also, like here in Columbia, you've got what Americans don't understand is you have generations that this is hardwired into their brain. And I'm talking about your your great great grandparents did it. Your great your great grandparents, your grandparents, your parents. You, what am I talking about? You hold dollars. You, you, that's your currency that you would prefer to choose. You know, are those how hard is it going to be for those people to say, oh, you know what? I don't want dollars anymore. I want that brick currency. I don't know what the hell it is, and I don't really trust China. I don't trust Russia, but boy, oh boy, I, it sounds good. So I'm going to go ahead and take all the dollars that have served me well for the last four decades, the last four generations, let's say, and I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of them and just go for this new brick currency. 
and just, I, I just got a good feeling about it with my entire net worth or my life savings or my working capital for my business. You see, I, and I don't want to go off on a rant because it is true that the dollar is losing the reserve status. That is absolutely true. I could not agree with you more. And it is true that if Russia and China work out a new payment system, that is going to make the de-dollarization happen even faster. Agreed. Totally agree. But that means that the de-dollarization, let's say, or the world, the dollar losing reserve currency status happens in 25 years instead of 30. That's what we're talking about here. So is that is 25 faster than 30? Absolutely. Is 25 years fast? No. No. So when should when will you know that the dollar is, is on the brink of, of losing reserve status? Well, that's easy because you just have to look at what percentage of global transactions are traded in dollars and what percentage of global debt is denominated in dollars. Because and here, here's another thing that I'd ask you. How many currencies, how many global reserve currencies do you know that lost their reserve status by decree? You see what I'm saying? How many or how many reserve currencies do you know that gained reserve currency status by a government just mandating it? Like, oh, well, today we woke up and boom, that we're going to we're going to write this new law and uh, we're all going to agree on it. And now the dollar is going to be the global reserve currency. So no matter what you're doing, just stop doing it and start using dollars. And boom, just like that, all the businesses obey. And we go from the British pound to the dollar in 1944. It happened overnight. It was Bretton Woods. Everybody knows about it, right? Wrong. Wrong. The dollar was already the reserve currency status, or the reserve currency. It, it, it started way before World War II. Why? Because economics, economics, the bottom up, the free market will determine what the next reserve currency is and how fast the dollar loses its reserve status. So what I'm saying here is look at how much of a, the global GDP is denominated in dollars. And as the Chinese economy grows, as far as a percentage of global GDP, as the BRIC countries' economies grow as a percentage of GDP, they will choose to use different currencies. Absolutely. But it's a result of economic growth. It's not a result of the Chinese government getting together with Putin and saying, today we're mandating that we are using a different currency and therefore we're never using dollars again. Okay, Putin might not use dollars. Xi Jinping might not use dollars, but every single business in their whole country is going to be. <laughs> Regardless, why? Because if you're a business owner, you want to do business with the United States and you are going to be doing business with other people that want dollars on their balance sheet. So you see what I'm saying? This, hat, this will not come from the bottoms up, or excuse me, this will not come from the top down. It'll be a result of the bottom up and those economies, those brick economies, growing and becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger percentage of GDP. That's how a currency loses status from the bottoms up, not the top down. And what does that mean as far as timing? That it happens over decades, just like the pound losing its status. Starts in the 1920s, goes to the 1930s, 
then the 1940s. Then the central planners come in and say, yes, we make the dollar the reserve currency. We're going to do this Bretton Wood thing, and we have all the gold, and we're going to tie everything to the dollar. Yeah, that's great, because they just finalized what the free market had already done. And it's going to work the exact same way with the dollar losing its reserve status. It seems like the next financial crisis will include a bailout for the government, financial system, U.S., entire world economy. What's your thoughts? A bailout for the government. Um, I mean, I think what you're saying there is that a bailout of the treasury market because the treasury market kind of seizes up and goes no bid. So the price drops and the interest rates skyrocket and therefore the Fed has to come in and buy those treasuries to provide that liquidity. And I mean, basically what you're talking about is the Fed's, the central bank's balance sheets just backstopping the entire global economy. And I think, yeah, I think that's that's a very high probability, if not in the next crisis and, and the one after that. I mean, that, that this is the end game here. I mean, everybody knows it, where the entire the entire global economy will be on the central bank's balance sheets. And it just kind of happen one at a time. And, uh, you know, we go back to the heroin addict. Right. So who can allocate capital better? The free market or the central planners and authoritarians? Easy question, right? So think about how as the government becomes more involved with the economy and as government spending as a percentage of GDP increases, you should assume that the economy will become less efficient, right? Or else Russia would have been the most efficient economy of all time, completely central planned. When the entire global economy moves on to the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, just, we'll just use that central bank for an example. How efficient do you think that global economy will be? Well, we already know. Russia, central planned. You see, Now, that will prevent the economy from imploding, but it just means that your living standards go back to the 1950s. Or, or what we could see is that the living standards in the United States, in the West, and globally, um, except for the emerging markets. That would be a little bit different because they, they're they kind of really on the upswing here. But especially in the developed world, you see the standard of living just freeze. And it doesn't go up like it should. And, you know, when I was growing up, each generation knew that their kids would have a higher standard of living, a better quality of life. Well, now it's the complete opposite. Where if you're if you're having a kid today in the United States... You've, you're under the assumption that their life is going to be worse than yours. Their standard of living is going to be lower. Even if you have something that's static, uh, that's way below trend, that's essentially a, an economic depression. So I think you could see, uh, especially in the West, global living standards freeze and just not go up for decades and decades and decades. And that's a result, again, of more and more and more central planning. And we keep bailing out this and bailing out that. We can't let that fail. We can't let this fail. And what's and how do we do that? Oh, we just got to move to the Fed's balance sheet. Got to move to the Fed's balance sheet. Fed's balance sheet. Fed's balance sheet. And we saw this with Silicon Valley Bank. We see this with Signature. We see this with you know whatever it is. It's central planning and everything going to the, the Fed's balance sheet because we can't let anybody fail. It's the participation trophy mentality, right? It's like it's like the whole global economy has the participation trophy mentality. Can't let anyone fail. Well, great. You're going to pay the price for that. 
And the price for not letting anybody fail is going to be a lower standard of living. So the biggest weapon America has, many nations hold debt in dollars, Fed rate hikes is breaking the ability to pay back. How much longer are nations willing to go through this? Well, again, I, I don't, these, this question is, is, it frustrates me because it, it makes it seem like governments are in control of the, the global monetary system. Governments have very, very, very little control, very little control. That would be the banksters. That would be the Euro dollar banks, right? Now you could argue that they'll all go bust and then that will move to the, the Fed's balance sheet, just like we were saying. And then in an indirect way, or maybe a direct way, uh, the governments would control the, the global monetary system. But we're, we're not there right now. So the governments can want whatever they want. And uh, they can do deals, they can do this, that, that's fine and dandy. But it's not going to change what I hold on my balance sheet. right? Is it going to change what you hold on your balance sheet? Is it going to change what Jamie Dimon is doing? Goldman Sachs? Why not that much? So yeah, another thing, you know, I got this from Brent Johnson, this idea, and it, but it's very applicable that um, when you leave the United States, as, as most of you that have traveled, you know, if you go to India, I'm in Colombia right now, and you're going to have the local language and then you're going to have English. It's kind of like the global language. And I would argue that English is used globally in a very similar way the dollar is used globally. It's like the, instead of being the reserve currency, it's like the reserve, the global reserve language. So what would happen if governments just came out and said, oh, you know what, from now on, guys, this English thing, we're, we're not, no, we're, we're not using that anymore. So in Colombia, you, you can't use English. We're, we set up this new trade deal with Russia and the settlement process between the Colombian government and the uh, Russian government, we're not going to say one word of English. We're, we're just going to use uh, Chinese, right? That's going to be our, our new kind of language of business. When the Colombian government does business with the Russian government only. So how many people in the local Colombian economy, right? That now know English because they cater to English speaking tourists and, you know, fill in the blank, right? How many of those people are just going to run right out and learn Chinese and just never use English again? Very few. And if the rebuttal is, oh, George, well, this is ridiculous because this using a different currency isn't just like learning a language. I mean, that takes a year or maybe longer where you can just choose to sell dollars and start using yuan. You can do that overnight. Anyone who says that doesn't understand the global monetary system because you have to understand that, sure, at a local level, at an individual level, that is true, but not as far as the whole system because the whole system is this network that's intertwined. And, and one hub can't just, oh, I'm doing something else. Okay, fine, but now you're not going to be in the network. Well, if you're not in the network, you're out of business. So this is the, the glue that holds this together. And it's why, again, that I say that for that to, to come apart, it, it's not going to be governments saying, hey, we're, we're just changing everything. It's going to be businesses and individuals choosing to use other currencies because those economies are growing and they're doing more and more business with those individual countries. Now, it, it is absolutely true that if 
let's just say those BRIC countries completely walled off like East Germany and Russia, you know, like the, like back in the 1950s or something like that. It's where they banned, it was a completely closed economy like uh, North Korea. Then, yeah, <laughs> then the dollar is going to be used a lot more, a lot less. That is very, very true. But I would argue the dollar would, if that happens, the dollar would still be the major currency used outside of those. You say, oh, the dollar would collapse. No, it wouldn't because all the dollars were created, most of them, by issuing debt. So, yes, the, if the dollar wasn't needed, it would go off to pay the debt. But then that just brings down the debt, the liability side of the balance sheet, and it brings down the asset side of the balance sheet. And the ratio between the two remains the same. Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Got a quick question for you. Are you someone that realizes we are headed straight for an economic recession, maybe even worse? Do you also realize that the government is trying to restrict your freedom, liberty, and privacy on a daily basis? We've all heard in the news lately about central bank digital currencies, and it's not a matter of if we get them. It's simply a matter of when. But although you know we're facing all of these problems, you don't know what to do about it. How do you protect your wealth or grow your wealth when we're dealing with a very volatile economic environment? Or how do you maintain or increase your freedom and privacy when we have this woke Orwellian government that's trying to micromanage your life? Well, fortunately, got some good news for you. I have set up an event that is focused on helping you, the rebel capitalist, find solutions to these problems. It's all set up to help you build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments. That event is Rebel Capitalist Live. It's going to be absolutely incredible. It's in Orlando, May 12th to the 14th. We're going to have speakers like Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, Robert Barnes, just to name a few. So to get more information on how you can attend this incredible event, it's going to give you actionable intel that will help you prepare for the rest of 2023 and beyond. Go to rebelcapitalistlive.com, and I will see you in Orlando. What specific investments have you recently bought? What are you planning to buy soon? The only thing I've purchased recently would be treasuries, uh, and not long, just short-term T-bills. I believe for the, I've got a model portfolio, a $100,000 model portfolio. It's actual money. It's not like paper trading. It's uh, in Rebel Capitals Pro. And I, Josh manages it for me. And I believe we just had some T-bills that matured and he rolled them over. So that would have been the last purchase that, uh, that we made. And that's just basically, so that portfolio, just so you know, is just nothing but gold and T-bills. It's like 10% gold, 90% T-bills. And so uh, that those T-bills, obviously, that's not a long-term play. It's just that's the dry powder, and I'm just holding that to try to, and, and waiting for things that I want to hold long-term to become cheap. And yeah, it, mining stocks would be one of those things. And uh, pretty much the entire commodity space, uh, you know, copper, uranium, uh, oil, coal, lead, just uh, you name it. I'd like to buy all that stuff, but but not at the current price. I want to see it get cheaper. And I think that we will likely 
no certainties, only probabilities. But I think the probability is pretty high that we will see lower commodity prices as we see the recession play out, assuming the yield curve is correct here. And I understand that the supply side is very limited with commodities, but uh, I do think demand can crash to a level and probably will crash to a level that it will still impact the price negatively, bring it down, which is the opportunity for someone like me that wants to buy that stuff cheap. Yelling out of all people stated sanctions are risky, risking the hegemony of dollar. It's pretty alarming. Uh, okay. Okay. You know, sure. So uh, sell all your dollars because Janet Yellen is absolutely correct and buy rubles immediately. Uh, definitely buy Chinese yuan and you probably want to buy some Indian rupees and um I know that your mortgage is denominated in dollars, but don't worry about that. Just take all your dollars, say, let's say you've got $250,000 in the bank, just sell it immediately and make sure that the only currency on your balance sheet, although you have dollar denominated debt, is uh, Chinese yuan. Because obviously Janet Yellen's correct. And then just get back to me in a year or two and let, let me know how that works out for you. When, if gold is ever confiscated again, wouldn't it be a, wouldn't it be smart to just buy transfer to silver confiscation? Um, I mean, they'd probably go for both, but yeah, that would be tough with silver because it's such an industrial metal. I think the probability of this is very low. I think kind of where you're going with this is like the central bank digital currency. And to do that, they've got to ban cash. They'd want to ban gold. They want to ban all these things that people could use to transact. But I don't think they're that stupid. Uh, I'm going to give them a little bit of credit here. And it, because if it were me, I, I wouldn't tackle this problem by saying, okay, we've got this central bank digital currency, and now we need to ban Bitcoin, we need to ban cash, we need to ban gold, we need to ban silver, confiscated or whatever. For me, the, the path of least resistance there is to maybe ban what I can, but if it's too difficult, I'm just going to say, listen, and because I have to do this anyway to get the data that I need to implement these Orwellian tactics. And what am I referring to? It's the point of sale software for the vendor. So in my opinion, the way it's going to play out over the long run, I think first thing is the, the, the dollar deposits go to the Fed's balance sheet. That's what they're going to do in a crisis. And, um, well, I won't dive down that rabbit hole, but I think that's what will happen first, most likely. And then they'll transition into this world where the uh, business owners have an account with the Fed. And for their point-of-sale software, they're, it's, they're going to plug that into the network. So that's going to have to change. So why is that important? Because, and I use this example all the time, if you go to Chipotle right now and you spend 20 bucks, you go to your Wells Fargo statement and what does it say? It says Chipotle, it says the vendor, and it says 20 bucks has been debited from your account, right? But it doesn't say whether you got chicken or steak or tofu. Now, how would they give you a, a, a social score if or a climate score, let's say, if the beef impacted your climate score negatively and the tofu impacted it positively, they wouldn't have that information. So you see what I'm saying? So that that network, 
that point of sale software would have to change from the way it's used currently. And they'd have to take whatever they have and it'd probably have to be universal. Like this would be a part of getting your business license is how I think it would play out or, or something like that where, or, you know, I was talking to Robert Barnes about this and he was saying paying your taxes. So in order to pay your taxes through the IRS, you're going to have to use their point of sale software. In fact, that makes a lot more sense than just your business license. Uh, so in order to pay your taxes, to be kosher with the IRS, you have to use this point of sale software to make sure that you're not cheating the government. I mean, you can see the pitch already, right? We got to get these tax cheats. Too many people are ripping off the IRS and it's causing a big problem. We can't redistribute that money. So from now on, any business has to use this point of sale software that plugs into the central network so we can make sure that we're not, no one's cheating on their taxes. When in reality, then you go to that cash register and you go to Chipotle and the gal asks you, do you want chicken or steak or, or tofu or whatever? You say tofu and now it gets the vendor, it gets the dollar amount, and it gets the detail of the transaction going straight to the IRS through that network, through that point of sale software. And that's what goes into the aggregated ledger system that effectively is, is what a central bank digital currency is. And then that goes into the algorithm and that's how they come up with your social score. That's how they come out with your uh, climate score, let's say. So what's my point? The, the point here is I, how they're going to determine who you are before you order, in my opinion, will be with your fingerprint. So you'll go into Chipotle and you'll say, and, and the gal will say, oh, hello, sir. Um, if you could go ahead and just take your finger and put it right on that pad and it'll go beep. Thank you very much. What can I get you, Mr. Gammon? Oh, I'll take the chicken Chipotle bowl or whatever, right? And so now how do you want to pay? Let's say you say, oh, I hate the government. I'm going to go ahead and pay with gold. or I'm going to pay with Bitcoin. or I'm going to pay with cash. There you go. So then the government's not going to track me. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they are. Why? Because although you paid with cash, you just gave them your fingerprint. And you have to give them your fingerprint because they have to get it to use their point of sale software that they got from the IRS that they're required by law to use. That's how I think it plays out. George, how long have you been creating YouTube shorts? What have you noticed about exposure? Josh does all that for me. I don't, I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I'm completely out of that loop. I don't know how many views we get from it. I have no clue. I think Josh has been doing that for maybe two or th three months, something like that. But yeah, as far as the back-end analytics, analytics of those shorts, I, I couldn't tell you. If government bans cash, wouldn't existing cash in circulation go up in value? Maybe. Maybe. But um, again, if, if, if it plays out like I just described, then I think the government will still try to ban cash. But even if they don't, I, I don't know that it, unfortunately... It's, uh, it's, it's not a, a panacea. Now, what is? So how would I tackle that problem? And I know this isn't applicable to everyone, but if it is, if you do have the, the freedom and the flexibility and the resources, 
just you, you've got a much longer time frame if you're in a country that almost exclusively uses cash. You know, let me give you an example. I was, uh, I've got this camera and it's it's 4K. Hopefully you guys have, have noticed that we've tried to up the production value of some of the equipment here on the whiteboard videos as well. But I only have this one. And so when, we have to switch it back and forth based on what type of video I'm doing. It's a pain in the butt. So I was at the mall the other day at this at this camera store with one of my editors. And we actually saw, and it's very super rare to have this type of camera in uh, Columbia. But they had one. And it was actually a pretty good price. And so I'm like, geez, we got to buy this thing. And it was roughly, trying to do the conversion in my head here. It was about a the equivalent of like a $2,000 camera, something like that. $2,000 US, right? So the, the peso price obviously was a lot higher. And I said, oh yeah, Thomas, my editor, let's buy this dude. Let's buy this ASAP. And I had my Banco Columbia card, just the ATM. And I gave it to the gal. She's like, oh no, no, no. And, and by the way, this is in the mall. And this is in the Santa Fe mall, which is one of the most modern, incredible, huge malls that you've ever been to in your life. It's not like some mall in like Strata One or in the, the ghetto or something like that. This is the, the, a huge, like, like modern mall that you would see in the United States. Camera store, you know, and she says, oh, no, sir, we can't take a card for that. We only take cash. You only take cash? $2,000 in cash? <laughs> I'm like, how many customers are going to come in here with $2,000 in cash in Colombia? And she's like, well, I just work here. Sorry, I, I don't, I don't, you know, those are the rules. And if you want the camera, you can't pay with card. You got to pay with cash. So, so Adriana has got to go there on Monday. She's got to go to the bank and get the equivalent in pesos, which is an astronomical amount of pesos, like 10 million pesos. And she's got to go down there and pay with cash because they won't take a card. And so what's my point? In countries like Colombia, 90% of the transactions. Now, if you're in Medellin, sure, they take cards. But you go out to Rio Negro. You go out in some of these towns in the outskirts. Nobody's paid with card. Nobody's paid with card. In fact, I went out with some buddies last night in uh, a town called San Antonio, which is just kind of a, a, a little town that's next to Rio Negro, if you guys know the area. And we had an absolute blast. But we went to this nightclub. And, uh, you know, you get the... The, the bottles of tequila and champagne, all that stuff. And again, no card, only cash. They only do cash. So if you're in a country where 90% of the transactions are currently done in cash, I'm not saying they're not going to have a, a central bank digital currency. I'm not saying that it's not going to turn into the United States. It inevitably will, but it's going to take a lot longer. So it buys you some, some freedom points <laughs> or some freedom time, if you will. And I know that very few people have those resources, but if you do, that's maybe a good option for you. I'm in a business. I trade commodities, but my margins are razor thin. Is this the right path to riches? I can't answer that for you. You got to do what you love. Do I have a recommended reading list? I don't think so. I don't manage my website either. Gene manages that. I don't know if he put a recommended reading list on my website or not, but uh, I can give you a couple good books, though. Uh, number one would be uh, Beat the Dealer. That's uh, Ed Thorpe. 
So why blackjack? Because it teaches you to, tr to think in terms of probabilities. And I think no, regardless of what you're doing in business, in, in any, especially in today's day and age, you got to think in terms of probabilities. And if you learn to play blackjack and learn to play it well, uh, even if it's just basic strategy, you don't even have to count cards, just ba basic strategy. Uh, that'll train you to think in term in those terms. So next one would be uh, the Market Wizards series by Jack Schweiger, where he interviews uh, people like Jim Rogers, Stan Stanley Druckenmiller, Ed Thorpe, uh, he, all these OG guys, and some guys that are even more OG than that. And uh, the fascinating books. And I, I, if you're interested in investing or trading or any of that stuff, I, I cannot recommend the Market Wizards books enough. Uh, the next one would be Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Uh, pretty much any book by Thomas Sowell, but I would start with Basic Economics. And those are, are, those are some good ones to start with. Oh, and right now, also, I'd recommend Jim Rogers' book called Hot Commodities that he wrote back in 2008 or 2004 because he was talking about the last commodity super cycle. And I think that we're at the beginning stages of the next commodity super cycle that will probably go into the 2030s. So if you read that book, you can apply a lot of it to what we're living through today. Here we go. The U.S. two-year and 10-year still inverted. U.K. two-year, 10-year period of near inversion point. Does that mean we are more globally screwed if U.S. and U.K.? That's a good question. So I get so U.S. focused that I know listening to Snyder that the German curve is a big deal, but I don't know about the U.K. curve. I would say that the, the U.S. curve is by far the most important for the global economy because the, the treasury market is, is almost like the global. It's pretty much the, the bond market for the global economy because of you know, what we've been talking about this entire video with the dollar, the, the dollar network. I would use the, the U.S. yield curve, the treasury yield curve, as kind of a bellwether for the, or a proxy for the entire global economy. But uh, is that another signal or is that another uh, variable that we should be watching that would increase the probability of a recession or giving some or give us some sort of insight to the timing? I don't know, Megan. A very, very good question, though. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's my final answer. I don't know. I would try to Google and see if Snyder's talked about that to see if Jeff Snyder has talked about the UK. I know he's talked about the German curve quite a bit. Maybe you can get some insights there. In the event of a CBDC, would all the value of the stocks, uh, banks, oh, wait a minute here, would the value of all bank stocks plummet or just smaller institutions? No, I don't think so. Because I don't think it's going to wipe out the banks. I mean, let's remember, who, who owns the Fed? <laughs> it's the banks, right? So they win regardless. It's, it's heads I win, tails you lose type of thing. But I think that uh, if we see these dollars, these dollar liabilities of the commercial banks go to the Fed's balance sheet, you'll still get the loan through Wells Fargo. But the approval process and the risk management will be subbed to the Fed just like they do with Fannie and Freddie right now. So when you go into Wells Fargo to get a mortgage, right? They're not keeping that paper on their books, right? They're they're giving you the mortgage, but their checklist to see if you're approved is just what they get from Fannie and Freddie. Because as soon as that ink's dry, probably before it's dry, they're selling that paper, that loan 
to Fannie and Freddie and boom, it's off their books. So they just take a commission. They just take like a finder's fee. And I think it's going to be the exact same thing with the Fed. That you'll still go to the bank to get a loan, a car loan or whatever, but that loan will immediately go to the Fed's balance sheet and the approval process will be that checklist will come from the Fed just like it's coming from Fannie and Freddie right now. And then they'll just receive a fee. So I, I don't know that they'll make any less money. I don't know that their stocks will plummet. That's that's kind of the, the way I think it'll play out. All right, guys, let's do some shout outs here. I want to remind you guys to, again, go to uh, rebelcapitalslive.com and get your tickets. For those of you who weren't at the be- on the live stream at the beginning, here's a list of the speakers. We've got uh, Mike Maloney, Peter Schiff, Robert Barnes, Kenny McElroy is going to be there, Chris McIntosh, Jason Hartman. Lynn Alden, Simon Black, MC, Robert Helms, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder himself. In fact, you can ask him that UK question at Rebel Capitalist Live. Bob Murphy, yours truly. And we've got some VIP guests, my good buddy Kiyosaki, going to be there. And Simon, uneducated economist, a.k.a. And Tracy Shukart. And I'm sure we'll have some other people there that you'd love to rub elbows with. The main attraction is going to be hooking up and networking with fellow rebel capitalists. That's the biggest benefit of the entire event. I can assure you of that. So definitely get your tickets ASAP. All right, let's do some quick shout outs here. Then I got to shoot to another live stream. Rebel Capitals Pro. We got Sarah Brown in the house. Edward Ruiz. We got Moody the Millennial in the house. Becky B. Wayne Smith. Vic McLausick. RR. Some OGs here. Crypto Beauty. Lamb Sword. Sword. <laughs> Ken Long. All Nighter Hider in the house. Thanks for hanging out with me, buddy. We've got Spock 2024, David Lamar, but all, tons of OGs. Everyone's on the live stream tonight. Ben is in the house. Woody, Judge Maddie. <laughs> all right, guys, enjoy the rest of your evening. And as always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, and free market capitalism. And then once you do that, I'll see you on the next video. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Capitalist Show. For more content like this, check out the Rebel Capitalist blog at georgegammon.com or go to the George Gammon YouTube channel.